0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Hold on, I'm just washing my hands. <laughs>
2: oh,
3: that's the end. Hold on, I'm just washing my hands. <laughs> All right, washing my this hands. This
4: podcast, oh! Whoa! Welcome back to Tier 3 is The Weekend Preview where we also answer your Q&As um, We've got some good ones in today so it's well worth you thinking about what you want to ask further On today's show, it's the best line that we could get. Dave O'Brien is back Hello, hello, hello Taking a big sip of whatever uh, This is the best glimpse you're going to get of him in a while because Dave's moving and doing all sorts of stuff for the next few weeks A busy, busy man yeah. Speaking of busy men, uh, Chris Hennage is also here. Good afternoon. Good, good evening, and good night. And of course, Nico Morales, who's over in Florida. You are in the same state currently, Nico,
3: as Adam Bolwood I'm in the same city. Some would say. So you know.
4: Are you? I I didn't realize he was in. Wh- which city are you in?
3: Orlando. Um, I mean, he's in. He's. Uh, I think he's staying in Kissimmee, which is like a little suburb of Orlando. But he he's pretty close. So
4: yeah he's been sending us all sorts of stupid shit um from all over the world uh, apparently orlando's a good place right
3: i think it is i i've grown up the majority of my life here so i think it's all right as they say orlando uh
4: dave just messed something up anyway uh, let's get straight down to the podcast there's lots of good stuff to come up on today's show including previews of the weekend dave it's probably best that we talk a little bit about Liverpool, Manchester United to start out. You're pretty confident here that Manchester United could get a comprehensive win you over really? their close, yes, Dave. Yes, yeah, oh, over hell. your close rival. <laughs> That's kind yeah, of the point of the podcast. <laughs> over their close rivals, Dave. Uh, can you talk a little bit about Manchester United for me? Oh no, Dave's already gone. Brilliant. Dave's back. Dave. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, how we are going to love the audio are? on this one? Brilliant. Manchester United, Jesus Christ, Manchester United versus Liverpool, Dave, you're confident that Liverpool are going to lose uh, comprehensively as well. You think there's going to be some goals that you can even predict?
1: Yeah, I think there's some issues in, in Liverpool's midfield that's become very apparent over the last few weeks. I think the the lack of pressure, the lack of Adam Milan is a real problem for Liverpool. I think defensively they're very weak, but it's not their back four. I think this analysis of their back four being poor is is actually not the, the case. It's their midfield. There's no pressure in midfield. I think we've seen three of the same goals or three of the same chances created in exactly the same way through Liverpool not pressing in midfield. You go to the, I think the Aguero one was the first one, Aguero clean for on goal straight through the middle of the center half after Kevin De Bruyne has so much space in midfield. The same thing happens um, obviously against Newcastle. John Joe Shelby wins the ball back. No pressure on John Joe Shelby. Picks his spot, plays the free ball. Jostler eventually bundles it in. Then on the flip side of that, you go to the Leicester City game. Same thing happens with Jamie Vardy when he wins the penalty. You go back and watch that. Andy King wins the ball back, no pressure. And I think it's a big problem for Liverpool is they lack this intensity that Jurgen Klopp brought. You look at the stats. When Jurgen Klopp came to the Premier League, the first sort of six months he was there, they were leading the tackles in the opposition's half by maybe like 1.5 times everyone else. Now they're you know they're, they're joint top. They're ranked top with Manchester United, which is quite interesting in its own self. They were you know bottom three last season. But I think it's intensity, it's the players. Uh, you know, Georgie, uh, Wijnaldum, I don't know what he's doing. When I watch Liverpool, I really question what he's doing. Against Newcastle, I think in that second half, he completed eight passes for a central midfielder that were dominating the ball. That is absolutely atrocious. So I think Liverpool need to get Adam Lalana back and have a bit more intensity. But there's a real opportunity for United to catch them.
4: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, a lot of people, Dave, do you think there's a bit of a... What I find unusual is, especially in the analysis, is, again, people are hesitant to... Uh, criticise Jordan Henderson. And as good a player mm. as he is, as, as promising as he is, it seems like there's a, a little bit of a protectionist vibe around uh, the Liverpool man, even though, and it is part, we, we know it's partly because he's the captain of Liverpool, we know it's yeah. partly because he is in this Gerrard role, that, or whatever this role is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a Gerrard role, but people seem to call it that. And it, it, people seem to say, well, Emery Chan's not got his contract done, you know, album isn't doing much uh, which is obviously evident as well. Um, you know, there's there's other issues in there. No one seems to be talking about Henderson just herring around the pitch as a captain. Fantastic if he, if he's trying to be that, and you know, making massive gaps in that midfield.
1: I think positionally he's atrocious. He re- he's really, really, really bad. But so is Emre Chan and so's. Is- um, Wijnaldum you know there's times when Liverpool you look at their midfield and it almost looks like 1-1-1-1 one, 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 instead of being like one defensive midfielder two ahead and that's in the same plane of the pitch and you know Nico could probably go with this into this a little bit more but positionally in terms of if you you know you, you're looking at the best managers in the world the zonal guys, the guys like Nagelsmann that are taking the game to the next level Thomas Tufel, if you have three central midfielders that are pretty much in the same plane um, in a horizontal sense in midfield, that's absolutely mental Nico right?
3: Yeah Yeah, completely right. I mean, Dave hit the nail on the head there with with the positional issues in midfield, and that's something I obviously discussed in what I wrote about Liverpool, um, is that it's really not the back four. It's about putting the back four in difficult positions, and how often does your system do that? And continually criticizing Dejan Lovren or Joel Matip, even though he, he doesn't seem to get much criticism at all. But the other two, Klavan and Matip, seem to... Enjoy the majority of the criticism. I think the 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 midfield positioning that Dave is talking about, in addition to how Klopp uses his fullbacks, is really the issue because you're putting these defenders in extremely difficult situations. And then you have the match of the day analysis by uh, by you know Radnapp and, and Carragher, which sometimes is good and sometimes misses the point because they blame the positioning of the defenders far too often. Because no matter what, these these defenders have to make sort of a 50 50 decision. And in some cases it's right, in some cases it's wrong. But it's very difficult to do that when you have like this hyper-aggressive, poor positional midfield that's always trying to win the ball back in these weird situations when they should be more conservative. They should have a better idea of when they need to go get the ball. And that's exactly actually what Dave said, which is where they miss Adam Lallana, and they're going to miss Sadio Mane because those are the guys that catalyze the press. Those are the guys that understand the correct opportunities to go get the ball as opposed to going trying to go get the ball all the time and then leaving their defense exposed. It's, it's, it's weird from Jurgen Klopp.
4: Certainly a tricky one. Um, I, I mean, yeah. At the same time, it's partly the the odds that Jurgen Klopp plays, um, and you know, we we've I think we've spoken before on this podcast about the sort of you know poker style of putting all your chips at any one point in uh, on, on the way that your team play. And I think at, at times Klopp does play the odds, and his football kind of bets on people making mistakes. I mean, that that, that is what part of pressing does is you're pressing. Uh, I, think, but I think not like, everyone is doing that correctly.
3: I think like Mourinho, the the two styles of Jurgen Klopp and and Mourinho are actually somewhat similar in the sense that I think I think you were on the right track there in saying that they their system, their 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 the mantras that they've become famous for looks to provoke mistakes. With Mourinho, it, it's a little bit more conservative in the sense that they allow the opposition to come onto them and after they've engaged a certain part of the pitch, after they have the ball in a certain part of the pitch, then they go for a really aggressive press because it's more likely that they're gonna get the ball in those areas because of the field, the relevant mm. size of the pitch is so compact. Whereas Jurgen Klopp is a little bit more offensive in these actions, and that's why his system is so dependent on on intelligent players like Adam Alana and, and And in the past at at Dortmund with different players to go ahead and recognize what situations you need to you need to, you know, go get the ball. Yes. Yeah. It's it's
4: also that it's also dependent then on what looked at Dortmund like a pentagon in midfield.
3: Right. um, Which
4: which was much more effective and almost sort of uh, it took away from you playing the odds because you were much more likely to be covering those spaces. Whereas Liverpool don't necessarily or can't necessarily play that, not only because of the way that formations may be changed over the years, uh, but also because of the, the players that he has to enact that. And that's why Sadio Mane is is such an important player, why people like Coutinho higher up the pitch who became much better at tackling also were much better players. Um, at least that's what I see watching week in, week out. Um, yeah, so uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting weekend. We're going to be predicting a little bit later using uh, Fan League, everything that's uh, going to be happening over the weekend. Chris is going to be reading out some of the fixtures and we'll be following up on that uh, anyone enjoy the international uh, the international break I mean Gordon Strachan's been talking about jeans Chris surely jeans have got something to do with qualifying for the World Cup um,
2: not the way he articulated it no I, th- I think the point about them being smaller maybe makes a bit of sense when you look at the goals they conceded against Slovenia they weren't great from set pieces um, the, the second one in particular was just awful but I think Gordon Strachan's a good example of uh, a very good player that doesn't transition to a very good coach. I've listened to a fairly extensive interview with him and Graham Hunter, in which he outlined some of his own development techniques. Some of which I thought actually had relevance even today. The the notion that you know if you play in, in an academy or a training session, you maybe get you know twenty, thirty touches of the ball. But he would go home and play against a wall in his house, and he would have hundreds, thousands of touches in the space of half an hour. Which will improve your technique. It's it is about repetition, I think. Um, that sadly isn't enough ball to extrapolate outwards and make him a very good international manager. And you look at his squad selections, look at the way that Scotland team plays a lot of the time. I, I think honestly, it's a blessing for them that he's gone, um, and I mean that with the greatest respect to what he achieved as a player. Because I don't think he's cut out for for management at any stage. And yeah, that's that's before you dive any
4: deeper on, on him I suppose yeah I mean he's hardly blessed with the most talented squad but um, it certainly was I think in many ways he was trying to deflect away from what the players didn't achieve of course Wales also didn't make it uh, Dave we, we spoke a little bit about this the other night with Chris on the podcast and the fact that they haven't made it will be disappointing for them because they'll have seen other nations of a similar size a similar uh, sort of development or development path such as Iceland um trying to trying to make it as well and making it maybe Iceland've got a slightly uh, better system maybe they've got something which seems seems a little bit more coherent Dave O'Brien left brilliant uh this new Dave app, honestly. The Skype new app, right? The buttons are all
1: in such awkward places. They keep hanging up when I'm just trying to turn my mic off. It's frustrating it the hell out of me. You know, you know
4: what, Dave? I have a real problem with that as well. And you, uh, uh, Skype, fix it because your buttons are not clear at all. Uh, we're not sponsored by you guys, so we can say what the hell we want. We'll FaceTime <laughs> next time. Um, and, uh, Dave, uh, Iceland, and obviously the Compass Mentors way they've uh, gotten through, it's been, uh, they've been, it seems as if they've planned very far forward and now we can join the dots looking back
1: yeah i think so i think you know you compare it to wales and how wales haven't really built on what they did at the european championships it's quite sad you know they've taken a step back in their development now not getting to the world cup obviously gareth bale did miss some of the qualifying but at the same time you can be reliant on one player but when he's not there you've got to be able to you know pick up the pick up the wins and that was ultimately their problem is they just couldn't do it without gareth bale so it's quite sad because I did not want, you know, you want to see this, the same performance that they had at the European Championships, getting to the semi-finals. That was that was nice to see, but at the same time, you've got to win. You've got to win your, you know, your easy games at home, and unfortunately, that's what's cost them. So I think it's going to be a stepward, you know, stepward back before they can go forward in a way. But you know, I'd quite like Chris Coleman to continue as manager. It seems to be doing quite well there. The players like him and so forth. So I think it's on to the next one. Really, it's on to the next European Championships. Unfortunately for Wales.
4: You've got to feel a little bit sorry for Chris Coleman. He certainly did um did look upset post game. Um and he's a he's a nice, he's a good football man. Uh, Kristen, you wrote a little bit, I think, in the last Euros about Iceland and tracked some of their um some of their I guess progress through the years and speaking to me and a number of other people on quite a few great shows during that time about uh, the development of Iceland. Do you think that's just this is just a continuation of that? Or they laid the right foundation and then you know all of this is expected
2: I think the momentum they built from the start of the, the millennium has carried through to this cycle as well because you've got to remember that the tournaments are only two years apart which might sound like a huge chasm in in terms of you know time and everything but actually I think when the qualification, stages are so close together it can't help they've, they've got a very good squad i mean they've you know they've lost obviously aaron johansson to to the us but they still have quality and and the system hasn't changed that's the thing it, because it took so long to to put together the infrastructure in iceland i think that that means they've had a sustained periods of success because of it um in qualifying for the euros and the world cup Very nice
4: um of course also Dave uh, during the international break we've, we've had a lot of time to consider uh, what's going on at different clubs as well is it Jopankus that's been brought back at Bayern it certainly isn't an, it's an interesting uh, appointment isn't it
1: yeah I think it's a strange one I, you know Ancelotti I think is a very very good manager but he's a you know he's a bit of a laissez-faire uh, um, you know, he lets his assistants take training and so forth. And obviously that's not what's out with the Bayern players. I don't like the Bayern what the Bayern players have done. I think that's terrible. They've basically got him sacked. The five senior players have gone to the board. Um, you know, we could probably reel them off potentially now of the players that allegedly would be there. That's Lewandowski, that's Ian Robin, that's Thomas Muller, that's Frank Ribery These are players that are supposed to be captains in the dressing room and supposed to be taken by Munich to the next level. That's the sad thing for me. Not that he's been sacked, is that these players have turned on him, which is, you know you th- you t- listen to Ronaldo talk about Ancelotti you speak listen to Ramos Chabi Alonso they're all very supportive so I think this is where player power and, and small players, Iron Robin and Frank Ribéry, who aren't going to be there for much longer, um, you know, have, have kind of pushed him out, unfortunately. And it looks like Nagelsmann will be the guy next year. Um, but again, it, it's just a strange one. I thought they would have done well second season with Ancelotti. Champions League, that's what Ancelotti loves to win. That's what Bayern want. But of course, they're bringing back um, Yuppie Boy, who's you know, won the treble last time. But again, very old. Um, and has he, you know, has his methods been outdated? I don't think so. But it's it's just going to be a challenge for Bayern, and you know, it's just it's not good. You know, how Thomas Muller was speaking to the and so forth was, you know, it seems like they had a personal issue um, that he wasn't playing last season, and that has now cost him his job.
4: Yeah, certainly. Yeah, once you lose the dressing room, it certainly is an interesting one. Um, I, apparently, they were having. I mean, people are talking about secret uh, training sessions, all sorts of things, and also. Uh, I think there's there's some interesting chat about uh, the fact that Bayern are now sort of backing the players because they don't really have much other choice. Uh, but actually, these guys are, probably will be on their way out very soon and have caused quite a few problems. And maybe the reason that Hankers has been brought back in, Chris, is because they want him to uh, steady the ship and set up another... Or it's almost like uh, keeping a fellow field, if you like, in, in farming. They want him to steady things. They want him to uh, make sure that everything that they want as part of the DNA of the team is brought back in and then they can bring in yet another manager in the Pep Guardiola mode. But you would you would have hoped that they could have continued Pep Guardiola's ways because it seemed like there was the whole thinking and the reasoning that they brought him in was to get that sort of uh, structure that then they could build on.
2: There's a cynical argument to be made that actually in replacing Hinkis with Guardiola they didn't actually evolve that much in the first place because they didn't win a Champions League. That sounds... I know like a very harsh metric to judge a coach by but I do think you you hit the nail on the head when you said that there's a stability in bringing someone like him in because he understands the team. His ideas actually weren't um, that far out uh, at the time and actually I would say a lot of them still hold validity today and can be Implemented today, I'll be curious to see how similar that team that won the treble is to the team that he puts out this this season. Um, and at the same time, it's it's very difficult to get a high-caliber manager in, in October because a lot of them are already starting and, and well-involved in their own projects. So why would you leave at that point? I think it, it gives them a, a period of time to decide which direction they want to take the club in, which I think sometimes we, in football, fail to, to grasp that actually taking an extra second, whether it's on the ball or making a decision for your manager, it gives you so much more opportunity.
4: Yeah, certainly something I can understand. Um, of course, Nico, there's there's also them protecting the likes of Pep Guardiola, isn't there? Um, because obviously you, you've you studied him a lot recently. Did it look like what Bayern were doing under Ancelotti was uh, dissimilar from what was going on under Guardiola?
3: Yeah, very much so, and I think sort of the the system broke away from Pep Guardiola's philosophy more so last year than this year, and I think he tried to transition it more towards, as Dave mentioned, that the laissez-faire style that he likes to really play, and and the best of what we saw at Real Madrid was sort of that free-flowing attack that a lot of those gifted, talented players can take advantage of in the final third. But I think the difference here, and I've said this before on this podcast, is that I think with each league, especially at the top, you have to sort of, in in, I don't want to build into the cliche that like you have to to know the league and be a be a part of it from. Uh, As a player or anything to to really be successful in it, but I think there are elements of the Bundesliga, there are elements of the Premier League and La Liga and Serie A that are specific to how the majority of the teams play and things that you need to do in order to be successful in that. And if you look at sort of the last couple of defeats that Carlo Ancelotti had, the the pressing actions that he was trying to enact were far different than the ones that Pep Guardiola uh, did when he had his team and and other teams of the past and other successful teams currently in the Bundesliga, and it wasn't good enough and the players were sort of being asked to play this, this different type of football that didn't, uh, didn't encompass a, a, an adequate pressing style or an adequate counter-pressing style or however you want to put it. And so I think with that, with him trying to implement his style of play that didn't really match up with the Bundesliga and match up with the players that at his disposal, I think that was really the downfall um, of his style at Bayern Munich.
4: A lot of people have crossed the border. Uh, successfully between Germany and Italy, be it one way or the other. And it seemed like there are some good relations between the likes of Juventus and Bayern, considering some of the transfers transfers they've had over the last few seasons. But yeah, it certainly was interesting to see uh, the difference in Ancelotti. And obviously, I think maybe there's a different emphasis emphasis with Ancelotti that some of those players just didn't get, um, especially considering the establishments that he came from has coached at and probably will end up coaching again. Um, it's, it's been good but now he's apparently taking nine months out uh, and I, I tell you what else is different Chris it's the fact that Henkes has go, gone back to Bayern obviously and people are saying I mean I, a lot of people are backing it saying and obviously brought a lot of success in that time I think it's five it'll be almost, almost just over five years since he left um, uh, p- people reacting very differently and obviously so between uh, Roy Hodgson and Henkis, that uh, people mocked Hodgson for being old uh, but Hankiss is coming out of retirement do you think this is a reputational thing or sort of do, because we you know we don't know what Hankiss is going to be like now really do we
2: well i mean it's not just them i think was it turkey that um, appointed the 72 year old yes good point uh, luchescu as well i th- i think you have to be careful not to generalize um with the greatest of respect to Roy Hodgson, he doesn't have your Pankis' resume ah, of achievements. Ah, um, yeah. And I think for that reason, it makes them them vastly different quantities as managers. Um, Hodgson goes in at Palace. I know he, I think he played there, didn't he? But he hit, had never coached there for, for, from what I can remember. Um, I mean, I know the club builder is him returning, but it was returning from, from a different kind of way that Hankis that is at, at Bayern. So... Uh, I think honestly, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said it. it's it's a stable pair of hands to ease a transition. That's that's what I think they want. Whereas, Palace are, to be frank, grasping at, at whatever they can to try and stay into the, in the league, which is uh, a, a far more desperate situation to be in.
4: Weirdly, stability in two different ways. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, there's a lot of good uh, other questions coming in. Wow, some really long. Questions as uh, thoughts uh, on the following: uh, Chris, is uh, how detrimental is the lack of the U.S. World Cup qualification for the popularity, progression, and the evolution of the sport in the United States? That one is from Piotr Gala.
2: I think it's a good question. I think ultimately, the the U.S. soccer fandom is is not defined by the national team. I think it. I think it improves marginally when the world cup's on because fans can get invested in that tournament and and you will always get a hold over from that you'll always get fans that are swept in and stay with the game thereafter but i think as long as the bundesliga as long as the league or the premier league are readily available to fans on television be it morning noon or night um i think that ultimately that will will help sustain the growth i don't think it's
4: national team lose to Trinidad and Tobago how 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 is that even possible Steve McLaren could have beaten them with this U.S. team
3: yeah I mean obviously the the defeat to Trinidad and Tobago that sent the U.S. out of the World Cup is a, is a really difficult one to swallow um, and as to how the U.S. lost to, to Trinidad and Tobago I think is a is a question that's maybe missing the point I think I don't necessarily enjoy the fact that all of the post-analysis after the fact of the of the U.S. is like, you know, it completely changes whether the U.S. wins this game. And that, that's not really how it should be. You know, would we be asking all of these existential questions about the U.S. Soccer Federation and the development of U.S. soccer had the, the result been different? And none of those questions should be dependent on one result. I think... There's a lot wrong with how the U.S. is 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 going about its talent identification, its talent development, um, and things within that. But at the same time, I don't think there there is a country out there that's as large as the U.S. that, is, that has enjoyed uh, a large amount of success on the international stage because there are significant problems with how you know how you organize t- talent identification how you organize a national team across a-, a country that is so large because obviously you know in england you have a club system that pretty much blankets the entire country and is able to identify talent on a very uh, specific scale because there are so many outlets for players to go ahead and enter the system whereas in the u.s there's very few mls clubs they definitely don't encompass uh, the u.s and there are very few uh, less, I guess, less prestigious clubs that are going to be able to identify talent and do that in a way that would allow people with, you know, low income or the ability not to participate in the pay-to-play system to develop. So, you know, it's a a difficult thing to criticize, but I think much more goes into it than just the loss or the, the lack of qualification from this year's World Cup, because it's such a big problem that nobody has really figured out yet. And, as much as people want to criticize the the loss which it should be criticized because the US had an 83 or 93 percent chance of qualifying for this year's World Cup um, before the game it it it, it isn't I, I don't I don't necessarily agree with the the idea that like we need to ask all these questions and and talk about you know as if everything is wrong and this is the culmination of everything is wrong because of one result yeah. has anyone else seen uh, the this stuff about the UEFA Nations League
4: the four leagues for the U- UEFA Nations League have been confirmed with the Netherlands snatching a top spot um, it, it sort of tiers them in four different leagues um, uh, and it so says here teams will be split into four groups of three with the group winners that there's a whole load of uh, weird things Uh, it's hard to explain let's put it this way, it's tiered qualification then split even further down Um, it looks in theory a good idea Chris I honestly don't know enough about it to comment if I'm really honest yeah good point Uh, I'm not sure anyone does how the lineups will be determined the 55 participating teams are split according to their position with UEFA nation team coefficient rankings following the end of the European qualifications
3: my issue okay go ahead my issue with this sort of system as I'm sort of briefly looking at it is like you just mentioned, there they will be ranked and or they'll be put into their different categories of division um, based on the UEFA ranking that they receive. I think a lot of people, um, as the American, as as unfamiliar as I am with with sort of college football in the United States, as the American system uh, of college football works in in sort of a similar way. Like you get grouped or you have the opportunity to participate in a championship game based on a ranking. Um, that a that a entity is responsible for identifying i think that can be a difficult pill for a lot of people to swallow because it's not like fifa and uefa have been known for the most objective or the least corrupt entities on the entire world so i think basing countries off a ranking that they receive from an organization that a lot of people see to be as corrupt and then basing how you know you're going to advance in the tournament off those rankings is sort of a recipe for disaster it's a recipe for corruption no. it's a recipe for people to i don't know pay and, and and manipulate their way into more favorable groups if they wanted to
4: not that, not that we are saying they are paying or manipulating that top allegedly group just looks well the fact englander in the top group means that it's just a true system nico <laughs> um, how could the country that invented football uh, not be in the top team <laughs> <laughs> I can't even finish that sentence um, Dave there's a good question here uh, where do you see Ozel and Sanchez going besides any Premier League club this comes after Wenger's comments that Ozel and Sanchez may well be sold in January and also obviously on the back of improved defensive and inc- and of course then league form hello. from Arsenal Dave
1: um, <laughs> hello welcome I think that they there's there's some issues out of where they can go I think they're Arsenal won't want to sell him in the Premier League so maybe Juventus could pick up someone like Alexis Sanchez Mesut Ozil's a bit of a different one because if he's requiring £330,000 per week there's a lot of clubs that may turn their back on there could be quite interesting for someone like Ozil to maybe play under Diego Simeone I'd like to see that because then you know, you're know you thinking that is you know the massive Critique of him is he doesn't work hard enough, but he will do that under Simeone. So that could be quite an interesting little uh, mix, as well as you know Simeone with um, Alexis Sanchez. That'd be absolutely perfect. So there's amazing. a lot of clubs out there where it could it could be quite interesting for both players' careers. But again, this is the last big move for both of these guys. So they've got to be they've got to be smart with this. They can't be you know messing about and you know not considering more than the money. I think that's the big thing here. Doesn't matter how much they get paid now. This is it. This is the last time that they can win the Champions League. So. Uh, it's got to be a clever move so they've just got to really really consider it maybe the Bundesliga could be quite good for someone like Mesut Ozil going to Bayern you know he's he's going to fit in with the guys there because he plays uh, for the national team so it, it's going to be an interesting period for those two players We're not Arsenal Football Club but how much have they spent combined for those players and they're losing them on
4: free transfers stupid stupid well, wait, what, it, management it, it, won't, it won't be free obviously in January though Dave yeah but you're getting a
1: fraction of what they paid oh yeah, yeah like, you'll get you'll get yeah, what, 8 million? Get 30, 30 quid 30 quid in this transfer market if you think about it what you know you've got players you've got assets that you could could have got rid of before um, you know they should have sold both players in the summer I don't know why they didn't um, now they're going to get a pittance for them if they try and sell them but what you will find is both of the guys won't move in January and they'll go on free transfers and that is that mm. is the unfortunate life for our Arsenal fans
4: do you even really get that or do you do they get like 30 pounds in free bets or something do you know what I mean well, well, the, well, you know, well,
1: okay. Put you put you in their shoes, right? Why would you sign yeah. for a club right now when you're going to get a massive signing on bonus when you move to the next club?
4: Yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe, may, well, maybe because another club will offer you better wages. So, in the short term, you'll also make that money.
3: You know? Yeah, I, but I don't. I don't, honestly, I, I don't so think. Awesome. I don't think any club would come in and pay. The amount that Arsenal are asking for for those two players in January when they know that they can get them on a free transfer. Free, in the summer. A couple of months later.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Although, maybe, I mean, you
4: know, there might be a couple of clubs out there that are thinking, well, you know, if we get an Ozero or a Sanchez, we might maybe secure qualification into the Champions League. You know, are we looking at an AC Milan or an Inter Milan here as well? Those two guys have been fairly flush recently. Or we might also be, I mean, imagine a Sanchez at Napoli, Nico.
3: I, I'd like to see. I like. I was gonna say. That I'd like to see. Not necessarily Napoli, but I'd like to see Sanchez return to Serie, a, um, because I think it's it is the league for him, especially at this age. And like Dave said, will back to back to Germany, maybe Bayern Munich or uh, or Borussia Dortmund would be a good fit. So I wouldn't mind see. It. it wouldn't be terrible. I suppose he he doesn't really fit Dave
4: into a Juventus uh, system. is they hung up again or is he just being really careful with his
1: No, life? Skype is no, Skype yeah. is literally busting my balls today. Um, I think good. Juve wow. for both of the players could be a good option. You know what Juve do with their contracts and signing players on free transfers and elongating players careers and we've got moves both for those guys.
4: It's not it's not been great uh, over the last few weeks for any clubs that are trying to ward off Juventus from any of their players. Emery champion, mm. is non-committal as possible uh, about a Liverpool contract. Uh, saying he doesn't know where Jurgen Klopp will he's be an next idiot. year because he doesn't know what he's thinking uh, yeah, Jurgen Klopp or Emre Chan Emre Chan why would because you
1: why would you consider leaving Liverpool when you're not even you're not even like consistent at all you literally play you're literally playing amazing you, you one are, week and then you're terrible the next week but you, you should work on that before the next... earning, a, earning some more money that's what really pisses me off about players is it money? Why, why wouldn't he just
3: earn more money? Why wouldn't he just if he knows he's not that good? Why wouldn't he just take the opportunity to? to he needs to improve money? himself as a player, not get more cash. Nah, get more. Cash. Yeah, but I
4: mean, what if he can do and both? then? Fucking my keys? Great question. What is uh, uh, if you guys can answer that on Twitter, we'd love to know where the fuck Dave's keys are. Um, but, hey, they might be behind the lamp. Hey, Dave. Um, I think I've got them. It's all right. Excellent. Where, where were they? They were in my bag sure. First place that you should check. Uh, Yes. Uh, There's a lot of other questions here. Uh, um, uh, Dave is a fraud, says uh, Jack McCormack. Uh, What are Spurs' chances at the burnabout? Fuck off, Jack. Good. Uh, Thanks, Dave, for littering this podcast with swear words. Uh, uh, Chris, what are Spurs' chances at the burnabout?
2: Oh, um... Probably better than the last time they went there. <laughs> that's, okay. that's the best way I could put it. I, th- I think I, I still have a lot of concerns about Spurs in terms of uh, their defensive ability, but then at the same time, and I think you have to caveat this with the fact that Real Madrid are a much better side than, than Borussia Dortmund. Um, I think the game is slightly more in, in favour of Spurs in the, in the way that the dynamic will play out. I think I think... The fact they won't have to maybe dictate things, they can be a bit more considered, is is good. But at the same time, their opponents uh, will be a lot less forgiving in terms of exploiting mistakes that they may
4: make. Nice. Uh, of course, there is also uh, a good question. Let me. I found another good question. Uh, it was oh, it was a really good one as well, and then Twitter absolutely punked out on me. Uh, Dave this one's a good question for you you're out and about already um, uh, a question for Man, Dave Who, uh, Sorry, how are the studies going and do you recommend getting coaching badges
1: yeah I think they're good it's it's interesting the level 1 is more like you're teaching kids so there's nothing technical or tactical yeah. about it it's literally you've just got to do this to get through the door but you do learn some stuff what I found quite interesting was how <laughs> when you're doing your session it's not about coaching the group it is about coaching the individual so when you you know for example you're doing a simple like piggy in the middle drill um you know you're you're looking around you're seeing not sure you can, call you them can piggies do now for, though, can you okay what you know basically that concept of a game like a rondom with a guy in the middle um say that, you're then, looking cause... around <laughs> go on Dave can <laughs> so I start that again do you want to just cut no, this no. out then no no it's good keep going you've just ruined my flow Lawrence yeah, people no, like you make fucking he, sick
3: he, he still calls so it a rondon it? instead of a rondo it's incredible
4: yeah it's, kids are learning very directly from dave you're either a fat piece of shit or anyway keep on keep going dave jesus <clears throat>
1: so back to my chain of thought uh, yeah. when you're coaching uh, a group of players that are doing a passing drill with a single player in the middle what's interesting yes. is how you coach the players individually in that drill so, for example, if, you, you know, you, you play, a player's a bit weaker, you give him more touches, a player's stronger, you limit which side he's playing on, you, you know, say that he could, he's got to play with his left foot, or if you know, if he's right-footed or so forth. And that's the intricacy so far that I found quite interesting It's just that, on a drill, how do you break it down for a single player? Obviously, with a group, if a group's doing well, it's easy to limit touches, it's easy to move the playing pitch, bigger or smaller, but it's how do you coach a single player within... A bigger organism, which I found interesting so far. Um, today I've got the child protection, something like that, part of the course. Okay. Um, so that's going to be fun.
4: You're going to protect those kids, Dave. Um, and then, of From course, uh, interesting. Uh, and then, of course, having worked for the BBC, I have been CRB checked. So uh, it turns out I'm safe. Um, How oh, do you by, course, uh, by not doing anything terrible, Dave. Um, anyway, uh, there's. There's obviously also the interesting side. I I think I heard a story the other day on another podcast. It might have been on the Continent. It might have been on the Ramble. And obviously it was told by Marcus Speller how individually the likes of Arsene Wenger was coaching. uh, I think it was Abu Diaby and one other midfield player because they weren't able, it was about transitioning. It was about taking the ball at your feet, turning and then running at the defense and how he would uh, get them to individually drill on that for the players who were uh, less strong on it. Um, and it, it, it was it was just interesting to sort of hear the way that uh, Wenger went into that and was able to identify that as something that his midfielders needed uh, as a quality. Dave, are you seeing a little bit more of the the difficult side of coaching? Because obviously I think what a lot of people lack is, you know, obviously on FIFA you can sort of go, ah, be nice uh, to this player, you know, or, uh, you know, be good to him. Like light football manager, it's a bit different in, in real life, isn't it? When you, you know, Nah, not for me,
1: mate. My no. delivery was exceptional, um, top quality little sesh we did. So I'm, I'm happy with my progress so far. But I think the interesting side of that is Wenger's teaching his central midfielders to carry the ball. Ferguson was like, don't ever take anyone on this central area. That's only wide players only. Is it true that, um, is it true
4: that Mourinho, Mourinho also, for a very long time, sort of played a similar system, that he didn't like to keep the ball in midfield for too long?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's what those two managers have done quite well. It's, it's kind of the adaptability. Um, with them but yeah venger strange strange concept
4: mm. uh, do you think self-awareness is an important part of coaching Dave
1: <laughs> nah not at all mate I think coaching the biggest thing is confidence right
4: <laughs> in many ways yeah you know what Dave you've been a breath of fresh air in this city thanks yeah uh, anyway <laughs> uh, let's, <laughs> let's move on there are some other really good questions I'm sure there are some kids Dave that listen to this podcast and want to be coached by you Maybe.
1: Uh, Maybe they'll have yeah, a, a lucky day and I'll just turn up out of nowhere.
4: Thoughts on Massander's uh, frustrated post on Instagram, says Luke Dor. Seems a pretty accurate reflection on a lot of Chelsea Academy players, which seems like a shame because he seems to have a genuine passion and want to play for the club. Apparently, Massander pay- posted on Instagram, you sacrifice, you work hard, harder. You give more than what's expected and often more than you can. Because you love what you do, and you certainly, wow, and certainly more than you should. And what do you get back? Literally nothing. Dot dot dot. Done. Um, however, this is. With this being said, I will continue with the same dedication and commitment to this great game. Uh, Chris, I mean, you you've certainly worked at a youth, a youth level, uh, scouting players. You must see a fair bit of this frustration when a player gets stuck in a rut. We've we've spoken about some more senior players and we've even worked with more senior players who feel like they're stuck in one place, want to move somewhere else. Um, do you think sometimes it can be counterintuitive to maybe air your grievances in public, especially when you are just starting out? I love when Chris is part of the conversation.
3: Chris. He's
4: Chris
3: is gone. Uh, Nico, how about you?
4: Uh,
3: I have not seen the Masanda thing, or okay. am I familiar with him in any oh. sense? Hello? Great. Uh, this is
4: the greatest podcast we've ever done. So, um, sir, sorry,
3: I cut out for a second there,
4: but I, uh,
2: I caught the, the gist of the question, which is, yeah, yeah there's um, there's a, an interesting sort of dynamic, and I've, I've talked to, to some young players about this, that... The notion that there's a period in your career where you're just craving that first taste, that first couple of minutes, maybe that first start, whatever. And then there becomes a point where, without wishing to sound insincere, that same little taste doesn't satisfy you anymore. That you want more, you want consistency, you want the chance to influence games and be a consistent part of something. And I think that's possibly the, the sort of bracket that Musander and and... Uh, uh, Galiber and people like that have found themselves in where they don't just want to play twenty minutes every couple of months. They want to actually be influencing games on a a week-to-week basis. And and you know maybe international teammates, maybe friends in the game, they may not be playing at the same high standard. They may be playing at, at clubs further down the league, but they're playing. And and I think that's that's the quandary that that some young players get stuck in. And I think that's kind of where Masanda's heads at at the minute. Whether whether he's justified in that, I, I can't honestly speak with any certainty myself because I think there's a lot of moving parts in that. But I understand his frustration. I can can sympathise, if not emphasise.
4: Dave, this one comes from James... I want to say Sweet or Sweat. Sweet. Uh, what is the easiest way to get into football, soccer stats?
1: Um... Woo. Just look at stats on the internet. Maybe go to sites like mm. Who Scored, Squawker. Um, that's the first step, and obviously, like you got to watch the game um, in a sort of stats background. Look out for things like who you think's completed the most passes, and take yourself on, you know, potentially a little bit further, diving into the data, rewatching games, and that type of thing. But yeah, it's all about what the data means in a way because you can say whatever you want with data but you need real meaning from it and I think that's uh, the difficulty pairing football stats up with things that are applicable to analysis and to so forth so it's just like it's like training just watch clothes of football that's all you need to do and watch football with stats and then you'll start to build a picture and a story
4: like science that like science it is like a science in a way isn't it because you're looking for, you're looking well, it is. for systems, you look statistics is a patterns, you're looking for yeah exactly that's what yeah well, i suppose it is a science oh it's not, up, the trains it bollocks <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> sorry guys part of part of being a good coach is being on time uh, oh, oh, stages, of course also understanding that uh, oh god it's gone is it gone oh yeah oh bollard <laughs> I think what I've also learned uh, and I don't know if my opinion is welcome here but I think partly what I've learned is watching football with the stats in front of you and then looking oh my at god. The, uh, looking at the screen and then also looking up and looking at the, the stats definitely helps you because you you get a very practical um, idea of, of what you're watching rather than sort of, you know, I, I, there's a lot of sort of nebulous stats around on Twitter. And I, I always find that a little bit difficult to um, sort of put onto a player. And at the same time, I think some people put stats out there because uh, obviously it's part of their job. Uh, and some people have to tweet or put stats out or, you know, use them. And sometimes it can feel a bit more like a barrier to entry than something that's actually handy. Um, some people in the industry are good at it. Some in the people in the industry just sort of throw out nebulous stats. Uh, it's well worth finding people who are interested in digging down into them uh, and uh, having discussions with them as well, without boring the hell out of them. Uh, we also can go through this weekend's games, where there will be a lot of uh, great moments. Uh, Chris, have you got the app there, uh, for the fan league? I give me one second of course you can hear the ease with which Chris is opening the app and then beginning to place his um, predictions see how easy it sounds
1: that is like the second time in a week where I've been walking up the track and a train has just done one on me Absolutely, Doesn't Jesus, Dave. I mean, get off the track for a start, mate. I was trying to catch it, Lawrence. I ran about half a mile after it, but it just didn't stop.
4: I've hit some terrible Bloody selfish about train. It. I know.
2: Um, right. Okay, well, Dave, to be here?
4: fair, did the train leave early or were you uh, a little late? No. no, I left
1: early, mate. I have to complain to TFL
4: us transport for London just in case you don't live in London because you know not everyone knows what TFL is but I've got your games here excellent Chris read out the first game we would love to hear it
2: the first game for our decision making skills is
4: Sunderland hosting Queen's Park Rangers at three o'clock on Saturday afternoon good god well Chris being up in the northeast you're probably going to know the most about this uh, what would you, what what would your prediction be for this one?
2: Um, looking at the numbers here, a lot of people think Sunderland could take this. Um, wow, okay. I can understand that. QPR haven't had a terrible start to the season. Sunderland most definitely have. Saying that, yeah, yeah, Sunderland haven't actually won a game in 2017 at home. Um, yeah, and
4: obviously before the international break, they had quite a difficult run as well. I think they they lost 5-2 to, uh, to Ipswich in, uh, uh, in in their own league. Obviously, they lost to Cardiff City. They drew with Preston. Obviously, also Moises one of Moyes' old teams. And then uh, just had a terrible, terrible run before that. I mean, I can just keep going back and back and back, and it doesn't seem to get much better uh, than since the Carlisle United win in the Carabao Cup, which was weeks ago now. Well, the last Un- time that they lunch.
2: actually won at home, Barack Obama was president of the United States and Alan Pardew was manager of Crystal Palace.
3: Well, so those were better days.
4: Um, yeah, I think for one of those two parties, those were better days. I'm going
2: to say...
4: Imagine if they swap jobs for a day. Imagine where Crystal Palace would be now. can't imagine how big the
2: statue of Alan Pardew would be. Um, Sunderland to win. Uh, The next game is Sheffield United hosting Ipswich Town.
4: Chris, are you 100% sure these are the games that we have to be previewing?
2: I mean, this is what it says, Game Week 9.
4: Okay, fair enough. Uh, Sorry, who? Have I clicked the right
2: thing? Just so so I've got the right thing, I load up the app and I click the play button in the middle and then it
4: gives me uh, 13 games, is that right? Yeah, 13 games, and those are the 13 games we're going on. These are the Uh, 13 games. Yeah, obviously so. Uh, I mean, Sheffield United. Uh, I'm looking good through start. their past. Which, wilder, through the back. This is how we put. Pl- this is how we play uh, fan league. Uh, fairly patchy form, but in the games that they have played well, then things have been going pretty exceptionally well for the Blades. I want to say uh, Ipswich Town have also had quite patchy form, getting good wins over the likes of Bolton and then of course Sunderland as well, but losing to the likes of Bristol City and of course Leeds United in recent games. Um Chris, what are you saying for this one? I reckon Sheffield United. I'm gonna go with the the other players
2: on this one. Just just I, I reckon it switch. For my own edification here, under yeah. the under the number one, what does eighty three and yeah. seventy five percent mean? I've heard Adam reference this before.
3: Uh it's a great question. I think uh, it means Adam that eighty three percent of the people uh chose one side and <laughs> 75. But is it, no, is but it's 75. 75. Oh, there's a 75. <laughs> okay, I didn't hear
2: the 75 part. So 83% of people chosen to win 75% of the time. Um, no, there's 83 and 75. You know what? And you'll probably have to cut this out, but do you know what that means? I've heard Adam use these numbers before like, oh, 83% of players think, but how can you have two percentages? This doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs>
4: So you, you know win, what, it's just a it fun go bloody use it, it's not hard. <laughs> um, anyway, just the just majority just the think episode. Sheffield
2: United yeah. are gonna win.
4: Excellent. What's the next fixture, Chris? Uh, please tell me I... some of them in the Premier League. <laughs> Hang... <laughs> Hang on, we should probably cut this, you know, this is a terrible advert. It's a great advert. you've just got to get your head around it. And the point is that Adam normally is the one with the organisation skills and... Jade's just missed the train. Oh my god. I don't even know if Dave's still on the call. Oh, Dave is still here.
2: Yeah. Sound like a family that Channel 5 would do a programme on. Um, yeah, so Sheff- I'm going to go Sheffield United on this one.
4: I'm going Ipswich. Uh, I like
2: Chris Wilder. He's put a, a good little side together down Sheffield, playing three at the back sometimes. I like him.
4: Good. Uh, uh, Nico, you get the casting vote. Uh, Ipswich, yeah. Excellent. Uh, Wait, <laughs> Chris, you're outvoted. You're right um, have I got to pick? Oh, bloody What Do you even watch the championship? leeds Reading is the next game. <laughs> okay. Um, and then we get up in cool. the Premier League. Don't worry. Okay, me. excellent. Okay, well, this is where the challenge comes, I think. Um, you know okay, so leeds, leeds are not... Le- yeah, yeah, you really do, don't you? You really know what they say about... They play in all white. Uh, they've lost their last two games, uh, but before that, they uh, won their previous two, so they've lost three in their last five Uh, whereas if you go to Reading and look at their fixtures which I am currently doing you'd currently find they're not on the greatest tear Um, so I'm going to go for Leeds in this one just based on form yes
2: amazingly very few people are predicting a draw or a Reading win on this one under 10% for both think that it will either be a draw or a Reading win interesting Uh, yeah. That's certainly, that's certainly an interesting one. Uh, um, so we're going to go Leeds and agree with 89% of people. Um, Super
4: Leeds. Leeds, Leeds, Leeds.
2: Next up, it's another team in white, Tottenham, and they are hosting Bournemouth on Saturday at 3 o'clock at
4: White Hart Lane. Well, not this Wembley. This one's quite exciting. Either, I think uh, it's at Wembley. I think um, I think that Tottenham actually have quite a good record against Bournemouth. And probably for good reason. So I'm going to go a Tottenham win because, well, I just like Tottenham dinner.
3: Nico? I'm going to go ahead with Tottenham. I think it's going to be similar to the to the Huddersfield game where you know, they, they try to engage them, they try and play uh, the same style or similar style as, as they do. So uh, I'll probably go Tottenham. Good.
2: Okay, you uh, agree with 98% of players? Yeah. Swansea-Huddersfield is next.
4: Good. Uh, well, uh, it's it's not. It, Chris, you said a few weeks ago that it wasn't looking great for Swansea. Uh, what was your thinking behind that? And is, does it look much better for Huddersfield?
2: Um, I, I kind of base that on the fact that Swansea Swansea don't look terribly ter- ter- terrible defensively, um, but from an attacking standpoint, they don't look like they can really muster much. Um, and the synergy from back to front is an issue for me when I watch them as well. There's not much fluency. I think uh, Clement has done a good job of, of maybe, you know, tightening up the back. But that's at a major consequence of what they do in the final third. So I'm not terribly, uh, you know, excited by the prospect of Swansea. And I don't tip them to score many goals this season.
4: So we're going to go with a Huddersfield win for this one. 2-1 Huddersfield in my eyes.
2: Well, it's the, the thing you got to keep in mind is it is at... Swansea. So, we obviously saw how Huddersfield performed against Crystal Palace, Um, so that could be an interesting deciding factor when trying to work this out. Nico, do you have any strong opinions?
3: I think uh, Huddersfield would probably win pretty heavily, I think, in in the sense of compactness and and advancing the play, you're right, in the sense that I don't think uh, Paul Clement has his first eleven and sort of his preferred guys and how they want to play um, exactly down and and with that there are a lot of weaknesses to expose in a, in a t- against a team a Huddersfield team that's very good uh, in their pressing action so I think it'll be a, a pretty heavy Huddersfield win if I had to, if I had to guess. Well, now we're really seeing how fun this
4: app is. Uh, Chris, next fixture.
3: Just just Ooh. real quickly, Chris. Are, is your mic rubbing up against something? it's like I'm that's fine he's walking crackling go sound. for it Chris
2: uh, Swansea yeah so we're going for Huddersfield interestingly not a lot of people think that's going to be the score um, Man City Stoke is next up and, two cities yeah I mean it's abundantly clear who
4: players of this game think's going to win this one Man City cleans it 100% of people Wow. Okay. I'm also going to go Man City on this one. Uh, Nico, you'll also go Man City for very evident reasons.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously the Stoke have not have not necessarily been fantastic this season. They've been trying out the back three under Mark Hughes. They've done some interesting things with that, and in some games it's been somewhat successful. In other games where they've missed defenders, I think they've they've hit they've been hit or miss with sort of the the best things that that strategy brings to mind. But I think regardless of whether uh, whether they line up in a in a three back or a four back, I think Manchester City will just go back to go back to the form that they enjoyed right before the international break. So. And go going to Manchester. City. Interesting start. Interesting
2: okay, interesting start. that's all cut and dry. Um, next up is Crystal Palace against Chelsea, and this is at Selhurst Park. Again, another frighteningly high statistic of people who think this is going to be uh, a Chelsea win.
4: I'm going to be straight with you here. Um, I think it's going to be a real issue for uh, uh, for Roy Hodgson and his men because they still haven't scored, and he could be uh, the second manager after I believe it is his predecessor um, to uh, have four games in a row where he loses and the four games in a row where he doesn't score Uh, it doesn't look great for him against Chelsea either does it so I'm going to go for a Chelsea win here
2: Nico are you in agreement?
3: Uh, yeah, I think it'll still be an interesting game to watch because obviously they're missing, or Chelsea are missing Alva, Alvaro Morata. Um, so to see how they cope with that and whether they use Pedro and he, uh, Hazard or Pedro and William or uh, they get Mishu Bashuai some minutes and, and see how they utilize him differently because obviously he is different, a different striker to Morata um, will be interesting. So I think, regardless of the fact that I think a lot of people are assuming Chelsea will win, which I also agree with, uh, it'll still be interesting tactically to see how that sort of panders out and how Conte is adjusting the system to who he adjusts it to. I will take that as a yes.
2: Uh, Burnley against West Ham at Turf Moor. Now, the the players, yeah, they're a little bit on the fence on this one and I think this is why a good portion have shifted for a draw. The majority think Burnley. Not a terrible uh, decision. Burnley are good at home. We know this. But... A significant portion of all so prompted for a draw. Any uh, any initial thoughts, gents? Well, uh, I
4: think uh, Burnley because I like Sean Dyche and his men and I think um, there's just a lot of good a lot of good shit going on down there.
2: Okay, so Lauren has gone for a Burnley win. Nico?
3: I'll also go for a Burnley win. Like you said, they're good at home. And uh, West Ham are Look, sort of disorganized, so, you know.
4: Remember, if you think we're, we're speaking irrationally here and you guys think you know better, okay. then get on the app and you can join us to predict as well. Uh, and maybe show us that you know better. Yeah. That'd be good.
2: Uh, anything else? Put your there? money where your mouth is. Um, exactly. We've got, hang on, a few more. Uh, oh, Midlands Derby, Wolves against Villa.
4: Absolutely. I'll take Wolves on this one. Uh, yeah. Uh, this season, there's, there's there's obviously improvements to be made, and it's difficult to judge a squad together. But um, I'm, I think they're going to outdo a Villa team who will be reminded almost constantly of the fact that they are Aston Villa uh, in the Championship. Uh, I, I know Villa. I think actually before the international break, Villa won three in a row. Um, whereas Wolves, Wolves actually, I think they won three of the last five. I'm reading this. Um, so I'm still going to go for a Wolves win because I think that Wolves are one of the stronger teams
2: yeah they got some lovely players Wolves um, they're only four from,
4: points ahead uh, of uh, four points ahead of Aston Villa
2: though so yeah um, they've played some lovely stuff they absolutely destroyed Burton just before the international break 4-0 4-0 yeah. um, oh, and, and Hotter and Neves you've got talent in abundance amazingly this one is is just flowing in the the direction of wolves, so it looks like we're going for the popular vote. Nice, uh,
4: like,
2: next up is Watford against Arsenal.
4: Nice. Uh, I'm going to go uh, Arsenal in this one. I think Arsenal are going to win two one. Um, uh, I, I like what Watford are doing at the moment, but I think uh, Arsenal find themselves in a much better place than we've previously seen them. And I, I, I don't know. I think that uh, coming off the back of the international break and um, the way that is going to have had some time to implement further his ideas with some of those people in the squad, uh, I think we're going to see an Arsenal win here. Although, it, I might actually be completely wrong. Obviously, that's what predictions are.
2: Nico, any opinions?
3: Yeah, I think Watford will come away winners on this one. I've really enjoyed how Marco uh has done things with Watford this season. Obviously, they progress progressed the ball a lot uh, vertically on you know down the wing. And I think in these situations with... Uh Arsenal's, whether it be the 4-2-3-1 or the 3-4-3 system, they can be pulled out. Their their press can be f- pulled out f- way too far wide, and there can be a lot of space to exploit in the middle. And uh, there are some good players on, on Watford that can take advantage of that. So I think Watford will come away the winners here. Nicely
2: done. Now, I don't know if this is because there's maybe a lot of Arsenal fans that play fine league Probably. All, there's just a new sense of confidence. But the majority think Arsenal are going to win this.
4: I think I think Arsenal will shame it. I think, I think they'll. it'll be one of those games where we say Arsenal didn't play great when they got through with the result. We'll see them outside the ground and people will be saying, well, you know, still not good enough, but they still got the result. I think Watford, uh, again, you know, they've, they've pushed quite a few teams. they them pushed Liverpool the opening day of the season. It's not that they think Watford are bad. It's that I just think that Arsenal have... Uh, I found a, a new self-belief and I, I think that's going to be fairly key in this game
2: awesome it is then um, next up
4: whoops the way I've just seen a lovely new kit from River Plate that is a lovely new kit that Andy that's and River Plate have got anyway go on next up got
2: the Brian Clough Derby Derby hosting Nottingham Forest
4: nice I'm going to go uh, ooh, that's actually a tricky one because Forest I'm try and find Forest in the first place yeah this one's the only championship game on the Sunday um, and I think Forest uh, have a fairly patchy form recently yeah in fact they've only won one of their last five games uh, and even before that they had a terrible run of form as well whereas if you look at Derby I'm going to go off just purely off fixtures on this. Derby also been in pretty poor form, but they were managing to get out a lot of draws. Uh, I'll go. It's a local derby, so can we sort of say? Do you want the help in- of
2: the the fans? Here?
4: No, not yet. I don't want to uh, ask the audience. Um, you know what? I'm going to go Forest just because I like him.
3: Okay, Nico. I will also go with Forest. You know. you know what they say about forest. You need, I mean, the Robin Hood and stuff like that. So, you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's a thing. Um, the players have tipped Derby to win this
4: one. Um, of, course, of course they have. Derby, well, yeah, Derby got three draws just before the international break.
2: You're looking at about seven out of ten players thinking Derby take it, Two thinking, two out of ten thinking it's a draw, and one out of ten thinking forest ticket. So we're going to punt
4: for forest. We're in the minority, but we will be right. Come Sunday, you'll see what us foresters say. I've locked that in there. Uh,
2: Brighton against Everton is uh, a one thirty kickoff on the fifteenth, so Sunday uh, game actually kicks off just after Derby Nottingham
4: Forest. So Brighton are at
2: home, Everton are in trouble. You could I argue, Everton.
4: Yeah, good, but I think Everton. Um, Everton are obviously in trouble, but I think they'll still get away with a, a narrow ri- win. I think uh, one 0 I
3: would probably say scored, or I would probably say nil nil. I'd probably say draw. Okay, okay,
2: okay, okay. okay so I've got the deciding vote. Well, they're not overwhelming favourites according to the players, but six out of ten think Everton
4: will take it. So people do seem to go. But on name
3: here. As as Adam has told me against, should we bet against the As Adam has told me many many times we can hedge, so we can hedge for an Everton win. Draw a hedge for a win. Yes. This yeah, is let's true. draw
4: let's hedge. Hedge, Chris, hedge. I've hedged. Feels oh, wonderful. Is. Um, <laughs> I thought I could see something.
2: Um went right up there. Uh Southampton yeah. against Newcastle is the last game and that is four
3: yeah. o'clock. At St. Mary's.
4: I've already That's put a little uh, bet on this one. I reckon Newcastle are going to win it. I think they'll take
3: it 1-0. You're a betting man, Lord.
4: I am now. Oh. Uh, I put a little bet on this, and I think Newcastle are going to take it because I like Benitez. <laughs> uh, he's playing against one of his old players, um, and I think Rafa's going to come away with a 1-0 win. I know Southampton's midfield looks uh, strong, but I think Benitez is going to send them out there to be combative, and this is the kind of game that Newcastle needs to get points. So. um, <laughs> Yeah, 1-0 Newcastle.
2: Interestingly, I've just realised that the two percentages refer to the community thinks and what the pundits think. Ah! Now, with that revelation, none of the pundits think Newcastle will win. Half, almost half of the community, sorry, none of the pundits think Southampton will win. Half of the community does. Whereas a, th- a third of the pundits think Newcastle will win, but two just over two thirds
4: think that uh, it will end in a draw. Wow. Okay. So this is. I mean, I've gone for wins in all these games. Um, I'm still going to go with that. Newcastle win one nil. Thank you, Matt Ritchie.
2: Okay, Nico. Any any uh, you know any desire to randomly change that or? Or argue I, against
3: I, it? Uh, no, I agree with Lawrence. I think he, it's the type of game that Benitez is, is well capable of winning. Uh, Pellegrino has not gotten his Southampton side finishing in front of goal quite yet. I haven't seen them too much, so I'm not sure if it's quite because of the type of chances they're creating or the consistency of chances they're creating. But I think it, you said it was at, at Newcastle, correct? It's at Southampton. Mmm, that does change things. So maybe I will go for a Southampton win. <laughs>
2: oh, i it in there. Um... <laughs>
4: <laughs> this is the worst set of predictions. I've ever well, in theory, we could hedge our bets. No, we're being recently discovered, going for Newcastle win. <laughs> we could. <laughs> so many jokes to be made. We um,
2: we could go for a Southampton or a Newcastle win.
4: And a Newcastle win. I'm so sure of it, Chris. Okay. Nico, so no hedging on this one. When, when your heart's in it, you know. I, I, hate, I take
3: back everything I said. Everything I said only applies to Newcastle at home. So Newcastle away, not so much. Southampton win, 2-1. I mean, saying that, wow.
2: Newcastle beats Swansea away, you know. They haven't looked Swansea, terrible away Swansea's from Swansea's different, though. Swansea's different, you know. They, 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 you know, they pushed bright and hard. You could argue there was some,
3: you know, um... I mean I'm, you've already said I can't hedge, so I've got to pick one of you. When when Brian mm. when Brian isn't in the crowd, you have the fear factor taken away. So Brian's not been in the crowd for years. Yeah. Well you know.
2: <sighs> See whichever one I pick it's gonna make like I seem like I like that person more.
4: Yeah. It's just not true, it's
2: just a coincidence. Um
4: We all we all know are. I, you I like, you. like neither of you.
2: Right, it's locked in. who you what did you pick? What did you pick? Um I will tell you all at a very intimate dinner in two weeks' time. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. Um, um, kidnapping Newcastle. Um,
4: Newcastle. Benitez. Yeah. Yeah. Benitez is great. Of course, he's um, back in the boys. Well done, Chris.
2: Uh, right. So that's just to check over. We've gone for a Sunderland win, a Ipswich win, a Leeds win, a Tottenham win, a Huddersfield win, a Man City win, a Chelsea win, a Burnley win, a Wolves win, an Arsenal win. Uh, a Forest win, Everton to win or draw, and Newcastle to win.
4: Really good work, guys. Uh, Now, of course, let's finish off the podcast on an exciting point from this week. The most exciting point of this week was watching Messi revive his side. Everyone's gone their hell on about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He puts team on his back or the the team jumped on his back or whatever you want to say. The point is at this point, I want to talk to you about the most um, incredible comebacks you've ever seen thanks to players... Uh, not only individually, but sort of uh, reviving their own teams. Who have you seen do that for your own sides? Because I don't think Messi is uh, an absolute exception here. We've seen a lot of players do it. Uh, And at some point, you realise it can very often be to the detriment of the team. It's going to be lovely to have him at the World Cup, but uh, will it serve them well in the long term? Probably not. And a lot of people are saying that's down to them almost having too many options, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But... My, my nomination is obviously Steven Gerrard. I saw him again at the Wembley Cup just the other day and realised why he was still so good. And then, um, again, uh, he was fantastic for Liverpool years and years ago, but too often tried to put Liverpool on his back and it didn't serve the team well. So for that reason, I'm saying Steven Gerrard. Anyone else got anyone like that for their own team or any memories similar?
2: Um, I remember when I was a kid, Newcastle were losing 3-1 to Leicester City. Uh, and an Alan Shearer hat trick helped them win four three in the dying minutes.
4: Wow! Yeah, that's great, isn't it?
2: That's that's but, the one I can think of most in terms of like a genuine. He just picked them up on his shoulders and and carried them.
4: Yeah, but he was a different. He was a different kind of captain, I guess, wasn't he, Chris? Because he wasn't always the sort of I'll carry this team sort. He sort of led by example, and it yes. seems as if other people took up that example as well. Am I right?
2: Yeah, I would I would agree with that. He w- he was very much. Um, as I do, not as I say, kind of thing, which is, is is you know, I would say sometimes a rare quality in football. A lot of people set the standard, but don't always match it, and I think he uh, deserves a lot of credit for that. Nicely
3: done, Nico. What about you? Um, I think for a lot of Manchester City fans, it's obviously the 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 title-winning comeback. But for me, more recently, I think that this the memory that sticks out in my mind is um, last year's performance at Barcelona, or was it? No, it was at Manchester City, uh, where we went down 1-0, I think, pretty early on to a a really nice, messy goal, and then we won 3-1. And it was just a really nice moment for the club, because I think we had gotten Barcelona in the Champions League, in the, in the early stages, so consistently, and we'd always been either knocked out by them, or or they had helped knock to, knock us out in either the group stages, because they they tend to beat us, and it, you know we went toe to toe toe with with that Barcelona team, and although obviously they, they haven't been great in the past two seasons or or so, it it was still sort of that moment where Manchester City kind of feel like they're they're continuing to push themselves um, into the relevance of, of European. Greatness to some extent, and it was a it was a really cool game to watch. It's really exciting. It was back and forth, and it was a great game. excellent stuff.
4: Uh, I think Dave's gone, but good luck to him in his coaching. Everyone likes Dave. We all want to see him do well uh, as a coach. Uh, obviously, with his, his reputation as well, it's just it's good. You know, we just want to help further that. Let's put it that way. Um, again, self belief and confidence very very critical. It's been good time, you guys. Convicted. Yeah, uh, probably best not to joke about these sort of things with uh, Dave actually working with kids now. Um, oh, I wasn't yeah. talking about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Chris, where can people go find you? Uh,
2: ask K-H-E-N-E-A-G.
4: <laughs> oh, and then Nico, what about you?
3: Uh, you can find me at Nico underscore O Morales on Twitter. He's never convicted. Uh, anyway,
4: it's been good to have you guys today You can go find me at Lozcast, L-O-Z-C-A-S-T. You can also go and find Dave at Statman Dave. That's S-T-A-T-M-A-N-D-A-V-E. And of course, you can find Adam Boltwood in the description of the podcast as well. Uh, quite literally. Although this week, you'll find him in Orlando. Orlando. See you guys next week on Monday when we'll be reviewing all the weekend's action. It's good to have the Premier League back. Um, and we'll also be taking some of your questions and views from the weekend. Until then, enjoy the weekend's football, and don't forget to join us on Fan League, where I think the league is now wide open, so you can go join it, see how well we're doing, see how well you guys are doing relatively to that, um, and enjoy it. See you Monday. Bye, mother Brunters.